Greetings, Cross Point Church and friends joining us today. Welcome. I'm sure you'd be interested in knowing that uh, with the restrictions being loosened somewhat, that uh, we're forming a committee here at Cross Point. It consists of pastoral staff members and board members, and probably will meet for the first time this week to discuss the if, if we will come back together under the present restrictions. We'll discuss the when, and we'll discuss the how. So stay tuned, and we'll be communicating with you. I want to speak to you today. We're continuing in our sermon series, How to Handle What Life Hands You. And today my title is simply this, How to Handle Life. Let's speak to the Father. Father, as we open your word today, we ask for a word from you. Give us again on this day open minds, open hearts to hear truth that you would have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I miss the Peanuts comic strip, don't you? I miss Charlie Brown, I miss Lucy, I miss Linus, and I miss Charlie's dog, Snoopy. The cartoonist was a Christ follower, you know. His name was Charles Schultz. He moved to the church up higher about 20 years ago, but when he was preparing the strips, he liked to mix in a little theology and a little philosophy in his daily cartoons. In one strip, there was a conversation between Lucy and Charlie, and Lucy is philosophizing. You know, Charlie, she says, life is a lot like a deck chair on a cruise ship. Some place it so that they can see where they're going, and others place it so that they can see where they have been. Charlie replies, I can't even get mine unfolded. You ever feel like that? Do you sometimes feel you're not handling life very well? Do you sometimes feel overwhelmed? Sometimes troubled, sometimes conflicted? Do you feel at times that you're living life less than what Jesus promised when he said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. Are you handling life as well as you'd like? Just past midway point in the Bible is found the book of Isaiah, page 775 in my 1,406-page Bible. And we find this nugget of truth in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. You, Lord, give perfect peace to those who keep their purpose firm and put their trust in you. Let me ask you today, do you have that perfect peace? Is your purpose firm? Have you put your trust in him completely? Pastor, missionary, and author from the mid-20th century, E. Stanley Jones, writes about the Bible character Ephraim, who is described in the book as, quote, a cake unturned as it was baked, end of quote. 
he would, he's saying about Ephraim that he would be half-baked. Then Jones goes on to speak of half-baked Christians, part of, their, part of their life given to God and part of their life held back. Jones says to be a half-baked Christian, and I'm quoting him now, is more of a problem than a power. Many people, he says, have just enough Christianity in them to set up an irritation, just enough to make them miserable. They don't belong wholly to the kingdom, and they don't belong wholly to the world. They're a halfway house, he says, trying to be a home, and no one can rest in halfwayness. He can only rest in full commitment, for that is what we are made for. This day, today is Pentecost Sunday. The original day of Pentecost was 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As Jesus neared the end of his earthly ministry, he began to tell his disciples, I'm leaving soon, but I'm sending my Holy Spirit who not only will be with you, he will be in you. And then just seven weeks later, it happened. Acts chapter 2 records the event. It reads like this. On the day of Pentecost, seven weeks after Jesus' resurrection, the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm in the skies above them, and it filled the house where they were meeting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And here it is, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this was a, a life-transforming event for those followers of Jesus. You see, before Pentecost, in the days before Pentecost, they were a, a discouraged, defeated band of leaderless ex-disciples of Jesus Christ. But after Pentecost, they were a dynamic, excited charged up company of committed disciples ready to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the known world of their day. They were having trouble handling life before Pentecost, but after Pentecost, life handed them unimaginable troubles, persecution, imprisonment, beatings, torture, shipwrecks, and in the end, all but one of those original disciples was martyred for his faith. And these Holy Spirit-filled disciples handled life with courage and grace and optimism. Now let's move ahead 30 years from that original Pentecost. Paul the Apostle, author of one half of the New Testament, that part of the Bible, is writing a letter to the church at Ephesus and also writing a letter to the church, to Cross Point Church, and to all believers listening, reading everywhere. And in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, here's what he writes. 
don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. Now, this he's writing to believers. This Paul is writing to those who have already received the Holy Spirit. And he urges them. Can I give you the Simonized version here? This is my own in translation. Do not give your body over to the control of some foreign substance such as alcohol, but instead allow the Spirit who already lives in you to control you totally. Do you see that? Listen to me, believer. You received the Holy Spirit when you believed, when you repented of your sin, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, yes, the Holy Spirit lives in every believer, but the Holy Spirit does not fill, does not control totally every believer. Let me for a few minutes borrow pictures from American evangelist Bill Bright. In 1951, Bill Bright founded Campus Crusade for Christ, a ministry to university students. In 1952, he wrote The Four Spiritual Laws. He was also the producer of the film Jesus, which was distributed worldwide. And these pictures are taken from his little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws. And in, in this first picture, this first circle depicts the self-directed life. Now, the circle that you see there before you, the circle represents your life. The small dots, circles inside the larger circle, represent the various interests of your life. In the center of that circle, see the little chair there? That's the throne of your life. That's the, that's the control center. And for the person who does not believe, of course, self is on the throne. Self is in control. And Christ, represented by the cross you see there, is not in his life. He's outside. Then Bright uses a second circle, picture number two. He calls the Christ-directed life. A person repents of their sin. They invite Jesus Christ to come into their life. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 is such a beautiful picture of how that happens. Jesus, Jesus saying, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, he comes in. And when we open the door to our life, Jesus Christ comes in. And so the second circle that you see there shows Jesus Christ on the throne and self no longer on the throne, in the circle, of course, we always have a self, is submitted to Christ. But can I suggest many Christians today live short of circle number two? Can I suggest that many believers live more like this third picture, this third circle? Yes, many believers. Yes, I say believers, Jones calls them half-baked Christians. But the truth is that part of their life is given to God and part of their life is held back. 
And so you see there in that third circle that on the throne of the life is self. And Christ is part of their life, but not in supreme control. And it's always a struggle. You see it? The Holy Spirit lives in every believer, but he does not control every believer. So which of those three circles best describes you? Paul, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, puts his finger on the, on the very problem that many Christians face today. Life handles them rather than them adequately handling life. And so he writes, he writes these words, allow the Holy Spirit who already lives in you, who desires what is best for you, allow the Holy Spirit to have total control of your life. Allow him to fill you. Listen to me, believer. This spirit who lives in you only desires what is best for you. Don't you see? It's only when you are filled, when you are controlled, when you are submitted to him totally, it's only then that you have a full measure of the love and the joy and the peace and the power to handle what life hands you. Isn't that what you want? I fear that there are many of God's children today, perhaps many of you listening to me today, you're hungry for something more. You sense that you are not handling life well. You're, that you feel that you're not living the life that Jesus promised when he said, I have come so that you might have a rich and satisfying life. Hear me. It's available for you. It's promised to you. It's God's gift to you. Let me share with you now the four conditions for experiencing this spirit-filled life. Here's number one. Number one, we must have the desire. Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6 says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. The author of Psalm 42 writes and says, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. Are you thirsty enough to say, I will not settle for half-baked Christianity. I will not settle for hobby Christianity. Jesus Christ will not be an add-on to my already busy life. Oh God, take my life. Let it be consecrated fully, totally to you. You must desire this. God wants this for you. I, as your pastor, want this for you. You must want this. You must thirst for this. But I must tell you that, that this promise doesn't guarantee an easy life. It's not unlike 19th century Italian patriot Garibaldi's appeal for recruits. Making his appeal, he said, I offer neither pay 
nor quarters, nor provisions. I offer hunger. I offer thirst. I offer forced marches and death. Let him who loves his country with his heart and not with his lips only follow me. And they volunteered by the tens of thousands to follow him. Hear me. You must have the desire to be all in no matter what. So you must have the desire. Here's number two. You must be willing to obey. Jesus said on one occasion, John chapter 15 and verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. Our willingness to say, Lord, take my life, take control, I'm yours, take my life, take all of me, implies, no, that's not strong enough. It doesn't just imply to pray, to pray that. It necessitates living in obedience to him in all things. Our obedience is proof of our love. A very long time ago, my wife, Willow Ann, and I stood before my pastor dad. And we said on that day, I take you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, to love and cherish till death do us part. And we have stuck by that promise that commitment all down through these years. And listen to me, it's not difficult. I've never once heard her say, another day keeping those vows, I don't know how long I can keep this up. This is heavy-duty stuff till death. It's a long time. Never heard her say it. Maybe she's thought it, but I don't think so. No, hear me, obedience obedience, keeping your word, holding to a commitment is not difficult if you love him. It's not difficult if you love her. You see, it's an obedience, an obedience out of love, not duty. That's what the Father is looking for. So the first condition to experience this spirit-filled life is we, you must have the desire. You must be willing to obey. Here's number three. We must confess our sin. We must confess our sin. When a Christian sins, and we do, when a Christian sins, we should immediately confess it to God and turn from it. Just as soon as we become aware, I should not be thinking this. Uh, this my attitude is not Christ-like. These words I just spoke are not kind. Uh, I should not have done that. To act like that was not like Jesus. Oh, God, forgive me. A Christian immediately ought to respond in that way. No delaying, no denying. Did you know that 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 is written to Christians, and it reads like this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see it? 
We must be super sensitive to every nudge of the Holy Spirit when he says to us, what you're thinking is wrong. Those words you just spoke, that's wrong. What you did is wrong. So the four conditions, you must have the desire, you must obey, you must confess your sin, and here's the fourth condition for experiencing this spirit-filled life. We must surrender. Probably the clearest call for Christians to make a total surrender of their lives is found in the book of Romans, chapter 12 and verse 1. It reads like this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves to him as a living sacrifice. Now, the Roman, the original recipients of that letter, the church at Rome, would have understood that language better than we do in our culture today. When those first century Jews brought a sacrifice to the temple, they understood that a sacrifice that they made was to be the best animal they had. And with no part of it held back, it was to be complete, all of it. That's the commitment that you and I are called to. Take my life. Take my life. All of it. My dreams, my plans, my future, my leisure time, my finances. Take my life. Take it all. To help believers understand this truth and take this most important step as I've preached this and as I've taught this down through the years, over and over again, I have returned to Robert Munger's little book by the title of My Heart, Christ's Home. I call it a little book, but it's really more of just, just a pamphlet, just 13 short Pages, But in his little book, <clears throat> he compares our life to a house. And so that's the analogy he uses. And, and he talks about the day that Christ knocked on the door of your life. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. And then he reminds us that if you're a child of God, if you've if you've done that, you've invited him into your life, then this guest comes in to live in your house and begins to, make, begins to make changes. You remember when you first became a Christian? Your attitudes. Perhaps you had habits that needed to drop off. Your loves, what you loved. Relationships improved. Your, your values. Fruit began to grow in your life. More love, more peace, more joy. And, and Munger in his little book compares that with this guest moving into your house and making changes. And he uses, he uses illustrations like this. You come home one day and there's a, a new door on the front of your house and, and the old door was uh, getting a little shabby looking and... Uh, and you look at the door and you think, well, this is nice. It's very nice. But you're a little bit puzzled because this guest in your home is just a guest. And he didn't ask. He just went ahead and did this. And you come home in a day or two later and the ratty rug in the front entryway has been taken up and a brand new one put down. 
and you think this is, this is awesome, this is wonderful. But then the thought occurs to you, this is strange. This guest in my life house is making changes. He didn't even ask permission, but in the end you think, what an improvement. You come home another day and the, the new front steps, which were getting a little rotten, one of the two of the steps are gone and there's a new set of front steps out front. And every change that this guest in your life house makes is a positive change, but there's always some resistance on your part because you have this nagging thought inside of you that goes like this. I mean, it is my house, and the changes continue, and so does our tendency to resist until one day you realize, you realize the real issue. When the guest in your life house, this Jesus who has come into your life, stands before you and extends his hand and says, can I have the deed? And I believe at this very moment, I'm speaking to hundreds of believers who are facing this surrender the deed issue. Will you do it? Will you? I became a follower of Jesus Christ when I was just six. And for 26 years, I guess I could best describe my life up into my mid-30s as, as a struggle. I would run hot, and I would run cold. There were parts of my life that were given to God and parts of my life held back. I take you back again to circle number three. I was wanting to kind of control my own life. I sort of wanted Christ to be Lord of my life, but there was always, always this struggle. I could best describe my life in those years up until my mid-30s. I was one of Jones's half-baked Christians. What about you? What about you? Will you give him the deed? He stands before you and says, can I have the deed? And you can, if you'll do that, you'll be able to handle whatever life hands you. Isn't it odd? that a being like God who sees the facade and still loves the clod that he made out of sod. Now, isn't that odd? Oh, what a God. Is he calling you to make that deeper and fuller commitment? It's God's promise to you and it's what you want most of all. Let's pray together. Father, I believe there are many listening to the sound of my voice right now. They're your children. They're following you. They know that you have saved them from their sins. 
But life has been a struggle, and for many listening to me today, it has to do with this matter of never really sold out, never really gave you total control of their lives. They've never really handed you the deed. May this be the moment, this moment. May many be of a mind to say, just this moment, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're dealing with that deed issue today, why don't you tell us, crosspointchurch.ca slash connect, and just send them, why don't you, wouldn't it be wonderful to hear messages from all over of people just saying, I'm all in, 